Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, Allison. Hi, Jono. This is our first time seeing each other IRL since our trip to Ontario place. So it is. In the parlance of the gambling industry, our recordings were previously internet-based, but this one today is land-based. Because they have yet to develop casinos in the sky, although they are very popular in international waters. They do, however, have them in the cloud, as it were. So shall we give one a go? Yes. Okay, so we're on olg.ca. I have created an account. There's a lot of these games that you can play and you can test out the demo version. So we got Spooky Bonanza. That sounds racist. (laughs) Midas Match. Yeah. Centaur Speaks. Play demo. Let's get down to business. (laughs) Oh, that is racist, I think. We get to choose how much we want to bet. Oh, whoa. (laughs) Oh, it's just a scratch and sniff game? Scratch and win? I mean, if it were a scratch and sniff game, that would be great value. (laughs) What's happening? I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I'm not pressing anything. No clusters remain. Gem rush, but what? They're just making this up as they go along. Well, I suppose I'd recommend that experience to anyone who enjoys uh, phone-based apps but resents uh, any sort of enjoyable user experience. I mean, playing those OLG-hosted games does make me understand why people, uh, Ontarians who do want to gamble online, uh, search elsewhere for Mm. uh, the places that they do that. Because, you know, Ontarians already spend tons of millions of Dollars. Actually, the government says it's $1 billion per year on online gambling, but only a really small portion of it goes through that OLG platform that we just played with. Um, and that is the only one that's currently like officially legal. Most of the other online gaming people do partake in is through websites like PokerStars, which is based in Dublin. 
So what the Doug Ford government has been kind of working towards is bringing private operators into the fold, hashtag open for business, and regulating, you know, what they call the Wild West gray industry so that Queens Park can start taking a chunk of those tax revenues from, you know, Dublin-based, Isle of Man-based companies. And who would have guessed? But there are some pretty foreseeable problems with their approach. Though for all the entertainment value to be wrung from online gambling, perhaps the province could just skip the middleman and simply set up an email address to which we could send it money transfers. The password is Paul Godfrey. Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. And as a political journalist, the most frequent gambling I do tends to be election pools. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland. And that reminds me that John Tory owes me a beer from a five-year-old bet that he would manage to get the police budget reined in. <laughs> he should have been better aware of the odds. And this is Wag the Doug. A monthly podcast about Doug Ford. We all knew it would only be a matter of time before Doug Ford would drag us back into a casino debate. Right now, online gambling in Ontario is still in a bit of a holding pattern. As you heard off the top, you can gamble online on OLG's website, but the process of setting up iGaming Ontario isn't quite finalized. It was supposed to launch this month, but it looks now like it's going to be pushed till sometime next year. However, iGaming Ontario, which is a subsidiary of the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, has a board of directors, a website, and a little logo and a tagline. Play with confidence. Although they only purchased the domain name for a year, so perhaps not too much confidence. So since this summer, iGaming Ontario says it's been engaging with domestic and international companies like PokerStars, for example, to ink, quote, commercial agreements that will loop them into the province's, quote, regulated market. Rather than tax iGaming operators, the PCs have proposed a revenue-sharing model on their profits. That could involve operators setting up joint bank accounts with the AGCO so it can oversee the funds they generate from Ontario players, and the province can take a chunk. But we don't really have all the finalized details yet. It's a bit unclear what the incentive structure would be for international companies to agree to this. I mean, nothing we've seen really signals that the government is going to go after, say, a Macedonia-based poker website if it doesn't agree to iGaming's terms. Yeah, in practice, I think it's going to mean that companies that do sign deals with the province will get to add the iGaming logo to their websites and, you know, into their commercials, which anyone who watches, uh, you know, supporting events sees a lot of commercials for gambling websites. And that would kind of signal to players in this province that that company is one of the trustworthy and responsible online poker websites. I mean, if you look at the company's press releases, uh, you know, it, it does seem like they're pretty excited <laughs> to sign up for this. Uh, in October, a Toronto-based company called Rivalry Corps, ooh, that's not uh, adversarial at all, uh, excitedly announced that it had submitted its application to become a fully registered operator of internet gaming and sports betting in Canada's most populous province. Right now, Rivalry says it has a gaming license with Isle of Man that allows it to operate online gaming in 100 countries, a statement that 
probably gives you a good idea of how online gaming works in the global market. Yeah, and from that same press release you're talking about, Jonathan, there is, I think, a better hint at why companies seem to be eager to to get in bed with the province of Ontario. And that is its note that the federal government passed Bill C-218 last August, which legalized single-game sports betting. It's honestly, it's all about the sports betting. I mean, single-game betting was something that was actually quite illegal in Canada for quite a long time. You were allowed to place parlay-style bets, which basically means betting on two or more games at a time, and but you have to get them all correct to win. So because the odds are necessarily better when you're betting on just a single game, uh, it's clearly been happening underground. So what I think is happening with iGaming Ontario is that companies keen to enter the actually new market of single sports betting online are happy to sign on with the province so that they can be one of the first out the gate. And if they also happen to run some poker online slot machines on the side, like, sure, why not? Or if they happen to run a newspaper on the side, even better. And one of the highest profile prospective entrants in this new market is Torstar. That uh, company that owns the Toronto Star, Hamilton Spectator, a variety of other papers that are all vaguely and loosely dedicated to broad principles of social justice, um, is looking to get into online casino and sports betting. In the initial press release from last March, the new owners of the Star said, you know, there are two reasons for our entry into this field. First, we want to ensure the new marketplace is well represented with a Canadian Ontario-based gaming brand so that more of our players' entertainment dollars stay in our province. Oh, good for you. Second, doing this as part of Torstar will help support the growth and expansion of quality community-based journalism. Yes, quality community-based journalism, such as these, uh, you know, front page headlines in the past decade or so, such as dangerous liaisons, online gambling, praise on the weak, the desperate, the poor, and the frightened. So why is the Ontario government so eagerly getting into bed with it? And addiction risk. Experts warn increased access to gambling will increase associated mental health and social problems. That was on page uh, Greater Toronto 5 of whatever year that particular paper was. But yes, within a separate interview with the Globe and Mail, they were quite adamant that uh, the the Atkinson principles would be kept in mind for the gambling initiative. They sadly did did not elaborate. Um, (laughs) Gambling is democratic. Uh, yeah, and I mean, so far as everyone can lose. <laughs> I mean, the paper we've already seen a bit of a maybe a blurring between the star's editorial content and its parent company's new ambition to move into the space. Uh, at the start of this year, the star ran a not a well, you not what you necessarily call a typical star star story about how uh, you know the headline was Canada's sports betting revolution is finally approaching. Here's what you need to know. Um, of course, they also had lobbyists at Queen's Park, et cetera, et cetera. And most recently, uh, back in just September, I somehow j- I missed this release. I didn't read it until we were preparing this episode. I didn't read far enough down in the press release. Uh, Torstar hired Chris Johnson, formerly of Sportsnet, to join the new gaming venture as its senior, and its senior NHL insider, taking a leadership role covering the Toronto Maple Leafs and the National Hockey League at large for the new gaming company sports betting business. That sounds like vaguely journalistic um, very vaguely journalistic work on behalf of a sports betting business, and they do clarify that his work will also be syndicated to other publications, including the Toronto Star. So, internet gaming is where it's at. Will this go the way of Starphone or StarTouch or other star initiatives to enter into new business spaces? Possibly. Okay, so we know that iGaming's coming, that sports betting's the main appeal, 
and that new entrants are like really, you know, raring to go Mm -hmm. and that this is going to roll out really soon. Mm -hmm. What could go wrong? So every year, Ontario's Auditor General releases a report, which is, you know, really a big multi-volume series of reports, uh, scrutinizing the operations of a wide swath of public sector institutions and initiatives. Some of the highlights from this year's included how the government effed up its COVID-19 supports for businesses, the issues with colleges' over-reliance on international students, and, you know, various other overreaches, screw-ups, and gaps in keeping track of measurable results when it comes to program expenditures of very large sums of money. And this year's report, which came out earlier this month, also contained a section on the province's planned regime for regulating internet gaming. So I keep talking about iGaming Ontario, and it's probably pretty clear most people don't know what that is. It's weird they put the little I as a lowercase before gaming. Does anyone else do that other than Apple? People, la- like, there, there are some not, like, like a lot of Apple, Apple knockoffs. If you go into any store in Chinatown right, yeah. and you look at the various cell phone cases, a lot of them will be companies that, uh, or actually if you're into Canada computers, pretty much everything is iCan brand. But other than that, it's a, kind of a strange choice. I guess yep. it just means, like, computery, <laughs> mm-hmm. vaguely. Um, but neither here nor there. So as I said, it's a subsidiary of the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, the AGCO. That's the provincial body that already oversees alcohol, gambling, horse races, and cannabis. So, for example, if you are a bar and you want a liquor license, that's where you apply. In the case of all those areas, the AGCO's job is to police what private companies or other provincial agencies that they govern get up to. So with lotteries and casinos, for example, their job is to maintain a productive tension with the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation, the OLG, which is the crown corp that actually runs the lotteries and casinos. And when it comes to internet gambling, I'm not personally a big fan of the euphemism gaming, the AGCO would be tasked with policing its own subsidiary, iGaming. The AG's report calls that out as an inherent conflict of interest. In our report on internet gaming in Ontario, we highlighted our concern that the governance structure of iGaming Ontario compromises the AGCO's regulatory independence. An inherent conflict of interest. And that's because one arm of the AGCO will be responsible for maximizing revenues and getting more and more people to game and spend money, while the other arm will be responsible for kind of keeping that gambling in track. It'd be not too unlike the id ego clash within an actual gambler. You know, the whole industry pretends it only wants money from people who aren't problem gamblers, people who have self control while also quite clearly depending in not insignificant part on those who don't necessarily keep themselves in check. Uh, I mean, in British Columbia, they're right now moving in the opposite direction due to a very large and significant... uh, (laughs) Basically, about six years ago, the provincial government finally discovered, after much of media reporting and many little stories here and there, that, oh, their casinos were being used to launder very significant sums of money, Uh, from criminal enterprises. And so as part of a comprehensive report aptly titled Dirty Money, um, one of the recommendations was to actually look to Ontario as a superior model of keeping the regulator and the actual gaming commission as separate entities so that the regulator could keep the gaming commission in check. So now in BC, they are actually moving in that direction to be more like Ontario, um, whereas, yeah, we're kind of (laughs) charging in uh, backwards, as it were. And even if it is, you know, just a non-ideal regulatory uh, setup, the AG also points out it 
is going to actually likely result in pretty big legal problems. And not just any legal problems, criminal legal problems. <laughs> As we've talked about before on the show, it's not at all unusual for the Ford government to bring in new policies and legislation that really push the envelope of what's allowed under existing laws up to and including the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Their approach is generally to see how far they can get and leave it up to the opponents of a particular policy to spend years fighting it out in court. With internet gambling, though, it's a rare occasion, maybe the first, where it really looks like they'll run afoul of Canada's criminal code. Because in Canada, it is generally a crime to run a casino, a lottery, or other kind of gambling enterprise. Uh, uh, cough, uh, election pools you can mm -hmm. probably get away with, but... Um, it's even illegal to be inside uh, an illegal casino. And the only real exceptions to this is, I mean, the main one is that it's okay as long as the casino is considered to be conducted and managed by a province. Exactly. Other than with Three Card Monty, that is, in Canada, Three Card Monty and games like it uh, are always illegal. And it turns out there's even recent jurisprudence on what does and doesn't count as being Three Card Monty-like. What is Three Card Monty? Three Card Monty is that thing. It's sort of like a table game, but it's really just a scam where basically you, they're like, they're uh, like three like cards. It's kind of like the hiding a ball under like a, a cup exactly, thing. Exactly. a shell okay. game. You have to f pick the one or the three, but it's always it's completely rigged. And it's uh, there is no circumstance in Canada under which it is legal. I don't know. But I feel like when I was playing that online game, they could have just been three card Monty. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. And that was actually the court. The, that was actually pretty much the case that went to the Supreme Court. I can't remember if it was online gaming or just video lottery terminals. So basically the idea that like, we don't know what the hell they're doing. It could be like three card Monty. It, anyway, the Supreme Court went back to the original transcripts in the parliamentary debate about a hundred years ago. I think it was 1922 or so and discovered like, no, and they meant similar to three card Monty in the law. They meant like, what if someone switches to four card Monty or five card Monty? Uh, they don't mean just like having the general properties of a shell game. I love that Canada's been hung up on stuff like that I for know. 100 years. <laughs> I know. It's like, I enjoy uh, such digressions and learn. I love learning about the legal frameworks uh, in which we unknowingly exist. So the issue the Auditor General points out is that private gaming companies that are being, you know, roped in or wrapped into iGaming Ontario are being entrusted with a lot of stuff. They are, you know, part of the process, if not kind of leading the process of testing their own games, setting their own odds and determining the payouts for winners. I mean, it's pretty easy to see what she means by saying that's a conflict of interest, right? I mean, the regulator can kind of try to make sure that it's all working, but they can't watch every mm -hmm. game or, you know, know every odd. Mm -hmm. So the Auditor General says there's actually also a really big reputational risk to Ontario and to the AGCO and to iGaming Ontario if things go badly. And I think it's worth noting that Ontario is really trailblazing on this. It seems like other provinces are kind of waiting to see um, you know, how it kind of spins out before they deploy their own regimes or, you know, maybe not even planning to at all. People in Saskatchewan are wasting their own money on poker stars. You know, that provincial government might just think it's easier to not bother trying to regulate it. So basically, in the broadest terms, running a lottery scheme, which can mean all these things, is illegal in Canada unless it's being conducted and managed by a province. So and past court decisions that have considered what it means to conduct and manage a gambling venture have turned on the question of which party is the operating mind behind it. You can put some fun sound effects there. 
basically who controls the scheme and is responsible for making decisions as to how it works. To make the point that the province's plan would very likely not pass muster, the Auditor General's report takes the delightful step of quoting the government's own public documents back to them pointing out that the AGCO is right now on its website telling potential operators that running a gaming site means taking an ongoing responsibility for the gaming site as a whole, including key decision-making. Womp womp. <laughs> so they're, they're basically setting out this roadmap, which is like, at least in the, certainly in the, the eyes of the Auditor General, and I would think many lawyers, seems to be heading on a direct collision course with the Criminal Code of Canada. But you That's can see a, why they're doing this, because... Why would, again, I'm just using poker stars as every example, but like if they've been running this, you know, successful mm. business all over the globe, why are they going to come to Ontario if they're like, oh, we're going to change how every one of your games runs? There's no advantage to that unless you kind of play along enough down the way that you get to do single sport betting here. No, um, I mean, that's certainly the, I can certainly see that's why the government's approach is as it is, but without an amendment to the criminal code, it's still clearly outsourcing the actual operation to a degree that is simply not allowed. Whether it should be allowed is probably another question, but it's it's very strange to be getting this far with uh, this much at stake uh, on an enterprise that is, as the law currently stands, quite likely criminal. It's just weird. I agree. Weird. But I see why they're selling why that's on their website, I guess, is all I'm saying. And it's probably true. I don't know. I guess well, they worked themselves into a weird kind of corner, right? Well, I want to regulate this thing that is running free. Well, I got to play by their rules in order to do it or they're not going to chime in or come on, come on board. But I don't know. I can't see. But if that's the case and the government is misjudging who has the power in this relationship... But I don't see how, and we kind of talked about this, but like the government doesn't have that much power because they're already operating. The government wants to take their revenues. <laughs> how do you sell that? Hmm. I don't know. I just think from what I've seen in many other industries, you would often much rather have legitimacy that comes with regulation. I mean, you know, if you look at other tech enterprises that started in legal gray zones, like Uber and Airbnb and so on. Often the idea is to introduce the service, build a user base for it, and then mobilize those customers in a lobbying campaign to legalize it. And usually as part of that legalization regulation process, there are things that they are very happy to agree to and to pay into. And there are other things that are like, no, 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 that'll fuck up our business. And governments inevitably have to figure out what the balance is. But we also see in those cases that if we're talking about Uber or something that Uber has a lot of the power. I find that it's a spin tactic, right, for them to say the phrase, we want regulation, is what tech companies say all the time. We want to be regulated because that makes them look less bad. Whereas, like, same thing as, uh, you know, the, that rivalry press release. We're so excited mm. to be on board with this thing. And, like, maybe they are. But, again, that company's operating in 100 countries out of the Isle of Man. Like, mm. it, it probably thinks it's cool it can join Ontario, but it's not going to completely redesign how every single one of its games works, especially if it doesn't have to. And it probably they probably lobbied the government mm. to not make them have yeah. to change how the games work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, mean, I think we agree. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Um, so why is the government creating a whole new company? Like a government that famously is all about cutting red tape, slashing the bureaucracy, blah, blah, blah. Why are they going to this length of creating a whole new agency, whole new like sub-agency under the current regulatory agency instead of taking advantage of the crown corporation that they already have for pretty much exactly this purpose? That's that's a good question. The Toronto Star broke a big story on uh, the backroom animosity between the AGCO, the regulator, and the OLG at the end of September. It's one of those articles that the average newsreader would probably get like virtually nothing out of, but probably felt like fire emoji for a couple hundred of people who either work in those agencies or follow the gaming sector really closely. It's the kind of business feature the Star wouldn't have published two years ago uh, before they uh, doubled down on their business coverage and, you know, got into the gambling business themselves. Or, Or at least they would have written it differently back then. The TLDR is the casino companies, private casino companies that operate in Ontario under the OLG do not like the OLG because they say it micromanages them. And the PC party uh, has a long kind of history of not liking the OLG either because they think its executives waste a lot of money on things like bonuses and fancy furniture and other internal spending. So per the Toronto Star, there was a meeting with the PC's attorney general, Doug Downey, in 2019. And at it, industry lobbyists told him they didn't want to work with the OLG, which I guess was awkward because representatives from the OLG were at the meeting. But Downey listened, hence iGaming Ontario becomes its own thing. This is part of the slow plotting death march for the OLG, which had been kind of jerked around by the former Liberal government. Uh, When Dalton McGuinty was premier, there was a push to modernize the OLG, which basically meant bringing in more revenue for the province by opening newer and bigger casinos. But when Kathleen Wynne took over as premier in early 2013, she put the brakes on that, being the kind of leader who was more receptive to the warnings from communities and public health experts that the harms created by casinos, especially those in urban centres, would outweigh potential benefits. So instead, the modernization mostly ended up meaning signing casino operating contracts with companies like Hard Rock and Great Canadian Gaming, while the latter was, you know, involved in the aforementioned public inquiry into money laundering in B.C., And part of the problem with the OLG over the years, at least from the government's point of view, seems to be that even though the amount of money it's been taking in from gamblers over the years has been climbing and climbing, the amount of money that it actually transfers back to the province's coffers hasn't so much, or at least hasn't to the degree that OLG kind of promised it would along with this modernization plan. So in its like best years ever, The OLG was bringing in about $8.5 billion a year, and it was giving the province about $2.5 billion. It's hard to imagine a less sympathetic entity than the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. I mean, you know, Paul Godfrey, when he was chair of it, would go around wearing a diamond-encrusted ring in the shape of a horseshoe. So it's not like decades of, you know, promoting responsible gaming to Ontarians while racking up billions in annual revenues from gamblers 
was necessarily more virtuous than in your future when, you know, they just take the money from you directly via your phone. And I think in a lot of ways that future is already here. Casinos obviously took a massive hit during the pandemic because they were forced to close for months and months. In its most recent annual report, OLG says its digital gaming revenue and customer base have both doubled since pre-pandemic. And now, obviously, there's questions about whether these online games are fair, but is your standard slot machine that's also designed to entice and addict players through dopamine hits and bright lights and mini payouts, is that fair? You know, the two big lines the government trots out to rationalize its direct involvement in the industry at all are, one, it creates jobs, and it can safely be said that online gaming would probably not involve as many uh, you know, Ontario jobs as a unionized casino or horse track does or would. And the other, of course, is, you know, money, which is funneled into general coffers and spent on, among other things, social programs. Yeah, and in the last year that the government brought in a normal amount of money from the OLG pre-pandemic, they got about $2.5 billion. So it's a lot, but again, maybe like, you know, painting their own gravestone, it dropped to 300 million in the last year. So that's a fraction of what it used to be thanks to casinos closing. And now more of their potential revenues are ostensibly going to get eaten up by this iGaming sphere. So I kind of want to talk about just how do we grasp how much $8.4 billion in gambling revenues is for the province of Ontario. It's a, a lot of money per person. I did like a little bit of back of the napkin math, and that tracks out to, even if you include every Ontarian, so you know, 14 million of us, including children who can't gamble, that would still mean every person was spending $600 a year gaming. And I mean, some of that's probably tourism, and but you know, once you factor out children and fraction out the millions of Ontarians who don't gamble. The ones who do are spending a lot of their money on this practice. I mean, you know, unless we were all just you know merely addicted to terrible food at rock bottom casino buffet prices, a whole billion of that could potentially be from just like you know, uh, dirt cheap frozen uh, lobster tails. But you know, in a, in a country and a province that at least theoretically believes in a progressive tax system, looking to gambling as a key source of government revenue is pretty much unconscionable. Like, you're demanding the social safety net be propped up by those most likely to rely on it. You could argue it's not unlike alcohol, which can, you know, also lead to addictions and destroy lives and is also sold by the government. But, I mean, like, it's officially against the law to serve or sell alcohol to someone who's already intoxicated. A, a slot machine or a lottery ticket isn't really capable of making an on-the-spot assessment of a person's financial capacity, nor is it clear that they're supposed to. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, it really seems the whole point of the enterprise is that a person can keep going as long and as hard as they damn well please. That's presumably a big part of why it's so profitable. Now, iGaming Ontario does have a big list of responsible gaming standards that operators must comply with, mostly things like ensuring minors don't play... Um, and by allowing people to self-exclude from the system if they think they have a problem. Which is the same as, as IRL casinos in Ontario. And we saw on the OLG's website, there's at least, I don't know if the other websites will have to do this, but a maximum number of dollars you can deposit a week. Well, yeah, like they started a week of sort of set a limit, which is like, yeah. I guess that's something. I don't, but goodness knows what you might the highest have number to do allows that. you to type in there is. Like it's probably <laughs> not going to check it against your bank balance. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I also saw, and I mean, this might be an interesting thing to watch for once these companies do come online, because I was 
perusing a few other um, websites, uh, like gambling websites or whatever, and lots of them have affiliate links. So I think you can like give discounts to people. Like I can send you my link, and you can like get uh, twenty free dollars, which the OLG does too. So that's kind of an interesting uh, solicitation marketing thing that we might start seeing more of, or will just be interesting to see whether it's something they regulate at all. Because what they really want is you to put your bank information in, right? <laughs> Once your bank information is, you're probably, like, Lord knows, 80% more likely to place a bet than, you know, before you get to that step. On the responsible gaming stuff, I mean, if your government-run enterprise has to tell private sector's companies it works with to include a risk profile, quote, that identifies and assists players at high risk of experiencing gambling-related harm— you might be in a weird business. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night, but like even the province running lotteries is really quite dystopian. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know that is a plot point in the book 1984, but we have a society that's obsessed with wealth and the government encourages that by picking people's pockets and offering them the slightest odds of winning it. Things that winning the lottery would attain for most people who play it, or at least what's in the commercials, are a house, a car, a jet ski. But those are simultaneously kind of the things society tells us we should be able to earn through hard work. A couple of years ago, there was a Lotterio ad featuring a guy who was finally able to achieve his dream of getting an apartment in Toronto. We're at the OLG Prize Centre in Toronto with another lottery winner, Evan. What did it feel like to win $10,000 with Lotterio? I've been smiling since I got this ticket. Was able to finally get out and get an apartment in Toronto. I love to cook, and now that I have my own place to invite friends over and family over, I am excited to host a dinner party. It was a really important day in my life. Yeah, so governments are kind of giving up the game of, uh, I don't know, capitalism? When they let you know that the only way for many, many, many people to actually get, you know, reasonably normal things is by winning the lottery. Or there's the $100 a ticket for the chance at winning a house through the Princess Margaret Hospital Lottery, which even more directly ties together the unaffordability of property and the underfunding of public services. And the overspending on whatever ad budget they have. Why do you hear those commercials constantly? Okay, Jonathan, but I do want to tell you about one aspect of iGaming that is pretty fun for our nerdy political purposes. As part of the sports betting regime, the province is also allowing novelty betting. That means, uh, and this was in their own parlance, not mine, Ontarians can start betting on things like the Oscars, elections, and the gender of the royal baby. That's what that's what they said? Yes. That's, that's literally what the government said? Yes. Oh, wow. I mean, like, I, I, I know that's something that exists, that is out there. It's weird to hear a government say you can do this. I mean, in the UK, they famously bet on everything. On the Ladbrokes website, you can learn that Lydia West is favored to succeed Jodie Whittaker as the title character on Doctor Who, with three to one odds. That Roger Jean Page and Tom Hardy are equally likely to be the next James Bond at four to one odds. And that Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza currently has a better chance of winning Best Picture than does Dune. And even that the Liberal Democrats are the favorites to win this Thursday's by-election in North Shropshire. Shropshire. We better check the results <laughs> on Thursday. <Yeah>. So <laughs> last night I was digging around the OLG's ProLine Plus site, which is where you can like bet on a basketball game right now or a football game, whatever. And you, I found out they already offer a single novelty bet to Ontarians. You can wager on the results of the 2024 U.S. election. <laughs> 
Currently, the odds of either Donald Trump or Joe Biden winning are both four to one, which is kind of funny. They have identical odds, followed by six to one odds for Kamala Harris, 11 to one odds for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And they also have odds for Jeff Bezos, Tucker Carlson, Dwayne Johnson uh, and Tom Cotton, who actually has the worst odds, only 71 to one shot uh, that Tom Cotton's going to win. Worse than The Rock. You're much worse, actually, yes. I mean, I'm sorry to say that Ladbrokes puts Trump ahead of Biden. But, of course, as with any sports bet, the odds obviously keep shifting right up until the last moment. But betting houses do tend to be pretty good at predicting results of things since that's pretty much their business. Right. And that's why I think this is kind of the interesting wrench in this whole thing or interesting, exciting thing to look forward to is that presumably in time for next June's provincial election, there's going to be real betting odds on whether or not Premier Doug Ford will be elected. And that number, you know, if Toronto Star is, Mm. you know, going to be, you know, who knows how closely tied they'll be to these novelty bets. But I think there's potential where maybe it's not in the pages of the newspaper, but it's like somewhere on the website or they're, you know, simultaneously those odds are shifting based on their own reporting. Um, I, I could, yeah, I could imagine them like you know purchasing an ad in their own paper and having it up in the little corner at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I wonder if Proline Plus will also offer odds on whether the province will win or lose court cases related to the operational structure of its iGaming venture. I'd say the odds are slim that the government's going to heed the Auditor General's request that it table information showing how it can make sure that this iGaming system is run fairly if it does not verify the integrity of the games being offered by private operators. Uh, I think the odds of that are going to be slim to none. Or checking Ladbrokes about the same as Eddie Izzard being the next mayor of London. And now it's time for... Foreseeable Disasters of the Mind. I'm going to use my foreseeable disaster of the month to instead acknowledge a disaster that was foreseen by um, my co-host, Jonathan, Hmm. (laughs) which was uh, in a few months ago, we we talked Mm -hmm. about uh, vaccine passports and the premier's daughter's hesitancy towards Mm -hmm. them, um, multiple daughters in that case. And uh, Jonathan uh, predicted and prophesied that... That would mean that one of these days, uh, Krista Ford or one of the daughters could be uh, out there in a vaccine protest outside a hospital or something like that. Yeah, would would at one point or another, one of the daughters, one of Doug Ford's daughters would maybe want to move their uh, expression of their opinions um, offline into some sort of real world space. That's not the most brilliant prediction or prophecy. I mean, goodness knows if you post enough Instagram stories about a given thing, chances are you're going to start doing that thing in real life, too. So you were right. So I I, I um, found out that Krista Ford and her husband, David Haynes, were speaking at an uh, event hosted by Charles McVetty's uh, Canada Christian College. McVetty is a longtime Doug Ford ally, uh, although the two are currently very much on the outs. So there's kind of a political angle to it, too. You know, McVetty used to fundraise for Ford and uh, attend various uh, events as kind of a special guest. 
And now his daughter is kind of going, like literally kind of going on stage with at McVetty's church school thing uh, the other week and, uh, you know, dissing her dad's policies. Mm-hmm. So that is a thing that happened and, and Jonathan saw it happen or foretold it happening. And yeah, Allison, Allison DM'd me um, on Twitter saying, wow, you called it. And there's the way that alert showed up on my phone. It didn't have a link or anything attached. And I was like, oh, I think I know what this is going to be about. And yes. It yep. was. So disaster foreseen. I think we've gotten a few uh, foreseeable disasters, mm. right? And maybe we guess, need to make a list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess if, perhaps that means the rest aren't necessarily foreseeable. Or are they foreseeable? If, there's, if, they're, for, if something foreseeable doesn't come to pass, I guess this doesn't mean it wasn't foreseeable because for, for, something you foresee is only a possibility. Okay, so my foreseeable disaster of the month is that Ontario's Housing Affordability Task Force will not necessarily, you know, produce many viable recommendations for making housing more affordable for a variety of reasons, uh, but not least of which that it mostly consists of developers, people from developer associations, and others for whose idea of making housing more affordable is increasing housing supply by basically, you know, dissolving regulation so you can build anything anywhere, which... Uh, might bring prices down, but probably doesn't really address anything at all. The chair is an investment banker who made $4 million last year. I am doubtful there is a single person on that task force who has been a tenant in the last 20 years. So we're going to get a bunch of new crammed together townhouses on the Greenbelt. If they're low rises, I'll be impressed. And that was Wag the Dog, a show about diamond-encrusted horseshoe jewelry. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. You can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at at Queen's Park Today. Kevin Sexton produced this episode. Our managing editor is Kieran Outshorn, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like what we do, support us for just five bucks a month at wagthedog.com, or click on the link in the show notes. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.